Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is my friend, Lauren King, and I'm so excited for Lauren to join us today because you all are going to love her. I first met Lauren back in 2016. I was actually doing a little math when she was a relatively recent college graduate, and she had started working at 36 Degrees North with my husband. If you live here in Tulsa, then you know 36 is a co-working and entrepreneurship space. And at the time, it was in its infant stages. It was brand new. So Lauren, along with some other really awesome people, basically helped launch it. And she also, while that was happening, happened to have a front row seat to some significant seasons in our family. I was thinking about most notably when our twins were being born. Lauren truly helped keep the ship afloat at 36 degrees north for Dustin, and that had a trickle-down effect on me Keep trying to keep the Curzon ship afloat in those early days. So very grateful for Lauren. She's a dear friend to both Dustin and I and to our family. After moving back to Texas, Lauren went to work for the Austin Stone Community Church, where she's still currently serving as a senior project manager. She's incredibly gifted at solving problems and serving people. And most recently, she's published a book called Sabbath Guide, which I'm so excited to talk about today. Lauren's one of the most authentic and intentional women I know, and her story's beautiful, and I know you all are going to be encouraged. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you, my friend. That is too kind. Man, there's just such a honor to be asked to be a part of this. Well, Lauren and I have actually been chatting for about 30 minutes before we pressed record (laughs) because we just enjoy doing that. But I want to start today by just having you tell us a little bit about who you are, where are you from, and how did you ever get to Oklahoma? So I was raised in the Dallas area, in a suburb on the north side of Dallas, And yeah, born and raised there. And then for college, I moved to Norman to go to OU for school, Boomer Sooner. Majored in broadcast journalism. And when I graduated, I got a really cool opportunity to move to Tulsa and be a producer on a morning show there. And so so it brought me to Tulsa. Loved my time there. Loved the city. I honestly, I took the job and was like, ooh, I'm going to love this job. I hate the city, but I'm just going to tough it out and get <laughs> out of Tulsa as fast as possible. I know. Tragic. It, is, it was horrible. I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, ended up, job was not the healthiest thing for me, but I love Tulsa and did not want to leave. And so through a bunch of, honestly, the Lord just orchestrating a bunch of things, I ended up at 36 working with Dustin and it was such a sweet and formative time for me. Mm-hmm. God used him a lot to soften a lot of my rough edges and just incorporate the heart of God into the workplace. And I was so thankful. Then Dustin got a cool opportunity and left 36, which 
oh my gosh, has he ever told you that story? The story of how he told me he was leaving. I had jury duty that day and we got a lunch break and he was like, hey, do you want to meet for lunch at Yokozuna? And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. He knows I've been sitting in a basement all day. He wants to take me to lunch. Best boss ever. And we're like in the middle of Yokozuna and he's like, hey, I just wanted to tell you. I took a job at Gitway. I'm leaving 36 and I just start like sobbing in the middle of Yokozuna and our waitress is like, what's going on? And I love him so much. Anyway, once I got over that and was just so excited for just what God was doing in his life, it was just, it put me in a place of reassessing, okay, what am I doing with my life? What does God have for mm-hmm. me? And I realized, oh, I love who I work with, but I was working in marketing and it was like, oh, I, I don't think this is what I want to do long term. And so, yeah, it was just actually looking for jobs at a ca- as an account exec for ad agencies. I was like, oh, I love taking care of people. I love orchestrating the details of things. I love working with creative. So I'm going to work at a creative company and, and started looking at that and then just through a series of things, heard that the creative team at the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas was looking for a project manager and really their job description was kind of word for word what I've been journaling with God. And I didn't want to leave Tulsa because I loved it so much, but through a really long interview process, God just slowly wooed my heart and made it clear that it was time to go. And it's been so sweet. I've been there almost four years now, and they're just wonderful people that I look forward to going to work with every day. And there have been hard things and changes in the job, of course, like any job, but gosh, it's just been so, so good. When you, your title is senior project manager, mm-hmm. and I think if people are not in the creative world, they don't know really what that means. Yeah. Like, what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? It's a great question. So my job is to serve as the middleman between our creative team and the rest of our staff. So I work most closely with our graphic designers and we have a very large staff. We have 200 people on staff. So anytime they need something from our creatives, from our graphic designers, they'll come through me. And my job is just to make sure that what they need is fully understood. I will have meetings with them and make sure that we are like creating. So it might be like we're designing for a women's retreat and we're designing the promotional graphics and the t-shirts and the signage and all sorts of stuff. The big reason they brought me on was there's high burnout for graphic designers because they weren't like making sure that they weren't doing too much. And so yeah, we just make sure that we, we keep those guys healthy and give them space to be creative and at the same time keep things on track on schedule so i i yeah. enjoy it i also i usually describe myself as i'm the one type a person that works with all the creative artists and that's such a fun role because they're just fun and they see the world so differently than i do they see the beauty of god in so many things and so it's fun mm-hmm. to get to come alongside that sounds like such a perfect fit, knowing you, Lauren. And as you were talking, I was like, oh, this must be a job where you interact with people. You have touch points, at least, with people across the the board. Lots of different yeah. people in that organization or that church. That's very cool. Okay, so, Lauren, I had your name had come to my mind a month or two ago. You were in town and we had lunch. And I had actually been thinking of you for the podcast before we had lunch. So I brought it up then and then kept bugging you. 
about being on the podcast. And I really think, honestly, though, that it was the Holy Spirit that was stirring something in me about wanting to hear your story or parts of your story, even though I didn't fully know it, if that makes sense. So I knew a little bit of your story, not all the nitty gritty details. And so when I invited you and as we've been preparing, we we decided that we're not going to go into super specific details. There's not one big story to tell. There's a lot of little things that have happened over your walk with God that have taught you many things about him and about yourself. And so we just want to share a little bit about that. So I want to open it up by first just asking you, how did you come to know Jesus and how has your relationship with him changed over the last few years? Oh my goodness. That's a big question. How long is this podcast? No. (laughs) (laughs) The gist of it, I was raised in a Christian house. And so I can't remember a day when I didn't know and love God, which is just such a grace. Um, I think I officially like accepted Jesus into my heart or whatever when I was, (laughs) I think, four or something. And my mom was just really adamant that I knew and saw God as a provider and a protector and just a good God who was worth following. And so, yeah started walking with Jesus at an early age, but like for anyone, God continues to call us to himself in different seasons. I think he called us in different ways. In high school, it was a lot of like breaking down legalism, honestly, high school and college of just like breaking down, like I wanted to perform for God. I wanted to be the good girl, do all the right things. And was resting far more in my performance than I was Mm -hmm. in who he was. So there was good intention, but a lot of legalism, which leads to either a lot of pride Mm -hmm. and a lot of thinking you're great or a lot of shame when you miss the mark. And so I was kind of in this pride shame pendulum for a while. And then in college, he just used different people to break that down, different pastors and disciplers who really challenged and pushed against that and so I think college really kicked off a long journey and what will probably be a lifetime journey for any of us is mm-hmm. learning the true heart of God and then learning to rest and to answer your question like how have I changed or grown I think every year in the past few years is learning how to truly rest in God and it comes with knowing who he is. I mean, we see, I think I'm moved all the time by Jesus looking over Israel and saying like, oh, how I want to gather you to me like a chicken with her hen or a hen with her chicks or I don't know. I always mess that up. But, you know, like his his posture to these people who like, like have been awful and are about to kill him is like, oh, come here. Let me like hold you tight. Yeah, yeah, it's just really beautiful to me and is definitely transforming how I operate. So Lauren, one of the things as you were reflecting on your walk with God over these last few years, one of the themes that came out of it in our conversation was seasons of grief and how God has taught you through grief and remembering grief even when it's hard. So I wonder if you might talk a little bit about what your experience has been like walking through grief. Yes. 
Um, so I'm kind of a weirdo, and I now love talking about grief. Uh, <laughs> and I know that's not true for everyone. And so I think it's healthy to acknowledge at the start of this, like, it can be hard to remember hard things. So I don't want to take lightly of like, oh, yeah, reflecting on grief. I don't want anyone to hear like that. Yeah, it's an easy thing to just reflect on grief. So that's my caveat at the beginning. His goodness has been so evident to me. And I see his goodness more because of grief. And I think that's why I love talking about it. Because I'm like, yes, it's so sweet to remember it and point back to this like Ebenezer of wow, that is a God who holds us. For our practice of remembering, I thought we'd talk through the gifts of grief and just get really specific about how is God specifically provided through grief. And we talked about this ahead of time, just a surprise to you, but I thought through, he gives healing through grief. So his healing has been a gift. His empathy and the empathy I'm able to share with others Mm-hmm. And he's given me great rest through grief. That's beautiful. Start in 2018 for us and tell us a little bit about how you encountered those gifts of grief. So, yeah, it's wild to think that this was almost five years ago now. Without going into too much detail, it kind of all started when I was dating a guy that I thought for sure I was going to marry. And we dated for over a year, and I loved him dearly, and I loved his family dearly. But unfortunately, it just it didn't work out. He was wonderful and godly, but we just weren't who God had for each other. And when it ended, I experienced probably the deepest sadness I have ever felt. So there are five stages of grief. I'm not going to say them in order because I don't remember the order, but it's like denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And there are definitely days in that season where I was like, I am experiencing all five of these right now at the same time. And thankfully I had a sweet counselor who was like, oh, that's okay. The stages of grief are not linear and they're not isolated. So I felt like I'm not crazy at least. (laughs) But yeah, it was It was really hard and really sad. And the crazy thing about grief is when you're experiencing one area of grief, it really tends to open a floodgate in our brains to other areas of grief in our life that we've never dealt with. Mm. And in that season, I realized there was a lot of that. Like there was just a lot of things that hadn't been addressed And so I started this journey in that season, kind of fall 2018, of untangling all that grief and all the unhealthy patterns and unhealthy lines of thinking and narratives. And honestly, like a lot of sin that was born out of those unaddressed things, because because I had left them unaddressed, like it was just a lot of distrust of God and a lot of sin that came because of it. it was this this process of untangling. And as I went through the following months and honestly years of untangling all these different things, God is just so faithful to meet me in that time and heal a lot of the jacked up corners of my mind and my heart. That's one of the biggest gifts God gave me in grief was that deep healing. 
I love how you're using the imagery of like you're using the word untangled. And I love that because I think that's a really beautiful point that sometimes a loss can awaken us to all the things under the surface that we need to surrender to God's mercy and grace. And it's really easy to, maybe not really easy. It's simple maybe to talk about in hindsight to now say like, now I can see God was at work. But when you are in the midst, in the thick of the untangling what was that like? How did you think and feel toward God when you were in the middle of all that hard work? Oh, gosh. Well, to be clear, I think I'm still in the middle of the untangling. <laughs> it's just like the knot's a little looser. Some strands have come out. Um, yes, yeah, to answer your question, how it's felt in the midst of the untangling, there's been anger at times. of like, I hate that this is part of my story. I hate that this was the reality of X, Y, and Z seasons of my life. I hate that this thing that this person did or said impacted me so deeply that now I do these things that I hate. There's sadness for all those same reasons. Mm-hmm. I believe with all of me that God wrote all our days before they happened. We see that in Psalm 139, mm-hmm. that he wrote all our days while we're in our mother's room and so knowing that he wrote these days it's more like help me understand why he wrote these days because they sucked and they made me jacked up and <laughs> I think it's been this like slow process of seeing seeing purpose honestly just bringing him into it a big exercise often in counseling is processing a memory and being like okay if Jesus was there what would he have thought about that What would he have said to that? What would he have said to that person? What would he have said to you? And I think for so long, I just hadn't even considered the fact that Jesus was there. So I think the untangling, the unwiring, what it's looked like is remembering that he was there and and looking at it in light of a God who is very present in those moments Mm. and who whose heart grieved with me you know that Mm -hmm. whose heart breaks over brokenness who gets angry over injustice over abuse over trauma who is like this is not how it's supposed to be and I think that's where a lot of comfort has been found in the untangling and where the endurance to keep going because honestly anyone who goes through this process it's exhausting that's another answer to your question how to feel exhausting you just Mm -hmm. like want to be done with it there have been so many times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, oh, the same thing is popping up in a different way. And you just see like patterns that drive you nuts. Yeah, that's beautiful because that's really connecting to this idea of God's empathy. As you're untangling, how do you keep going through that process? Well, the only way to keep going is to see that you have a God who's, like you said, tender and loving and is not afraid to enter into our pain. Yeah. In an email to me, you talked about the story of Lazarus. And Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about how you connect that to the idea of God's empathy. The story of Lazarus is probably my favorite story from the Gospels. Probably it was back in, I think, 2019. I read this story and just it felt fresh. I had new eyes. I think a lot of us have heard, if you haven't read the story of Lazarus, it's a dear friend of Jesus 
he's dying. His sisters come to Jesus and say, hey, he's dying. Come help him. And he comes and he's already dead and everyone's crying. And the end of the story, spoiler alert, is that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I think that had always been the story of like, oh, yes, Jesus can raise people from the dead. But what hit fresh, and we've also heard like this is this is where the passage is where Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. But the Jesus wept passage just hit in a really new way that year. And I found comfort in it because I think we know like Jesus comes, his friend is dying. He knows the end of the story. So we know Jesus is not like a jerk about it. He's not like, oh my gosh, guys, don't you trust me? Mary, Martha, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I... Like, don't you know who I am? Like, how could you dare be sad about that? Like, we know that that's not God's heart. That's not Jesus. That's not how he operates with people. But I think what I had thought is that he's more sympathetic of, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, you you poor thing. Like, I know this is hard. Just watch what I'm going to do. Like, watch how I'm going to redeem this. Watch how I'm going to restore this. And I think that's how, honestly, I have and how I've seen other people, like, encourage people going through grief is like oh man I know this is so hard but God's gonna use it God's gonna like he's gonna do good things but what's nuts is that's not what Jesus does if you see a grown man weep it's just like it's heavy it's big like there's just something in that and so this picture of Jesus like seeing these people's hearts breaking and just letting his heart break with them and just sitting with them in it and feeling the deep sorrow they're feeling even though, like, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead a few minutes from then, he lets himself go there to the place of grief, even though he knows how the story ends. And there's so much comfort in that of, like, Jesus knows how my story is going to end. He knows how he's going to redeem all the broken parts. Yes, there is a day when all sad things will become untrue. And that mm-hmm. is sweet and encouraging. And that is our hope that we have in Christ. And at the same time, he's someone who just he makes himself lowly. He meets us in that and he gets mm-hmm. sad over the things that we get sad about. Mm-hmm. And gosh, it's just been such a comfort and radically healing to know that mm-hmm. all the parts of my story that bring me d- deep grief and sadness have also brought Jesus deep grief and sadness. So that's how it impacts my empathy. I don't think if I hadn't Mm-hmm. gone through that initial grief but really like got to like the deeper grief of my story I don't think I would be able to care for people as well because of the work I've done like I have a deeper understanding of sadness and like encouragement and practical tools that were really crucial in my healing I have found that very much to be true of my experience with grief. In fact, I had a friend, one of my dearest friends, whose dad had died the year before my sister died. And she was the first person who called me after my sister died. And both of us were like weeping. And the first thing that I said to her was, I'm so sorry. And she knew what I was apologizing for. I had not I just had not understood the pain that she was walking in. And I was afraid to like go there with her. But she on the other side of grief was the first person who called me. Um, And so I, yeah, that just really resonates with me. What you said about Jesus just totally entering in, not trying to fix it right away, 
but just sitting with it. And I've found that to be one of the most comforting experiences in grief. And I'm not necessarily a crier. I'm not, I usually like to like package things up and move on. And grief has made it where I can't do that. <laughs> so, which is, you know, that is one of the gifts mm-hmm. of grief for me is getting in touch with that, that part of the part of myself that God made to lament and to weep and to be yes. sad and yes. all of that. And we do grieve with hope, right? Like we're not yes. in this pit of despair. We grieve as hope. We have that like lamentations three of like, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Like the steadfast mm-hmm. love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Like we have that anchor. And at the same time, we can be anchored in our sadness rather than just shoving away sadness. How has God used this experience of empathy to transform how you care for others? Honestly, I'm a fixer by nature. Like, I love problem solving. If I could have a job that was Lauren King is chief problem solver of this company, it would be like the the dream. So I think this is a lesson I needed to learn, and I'm thankful he taught me. And I'm still continually learning to just sit and be sad with people. I have found myself being a better tool for those who are quick to blow past hard feelings. And I feel like I'm someone now who will like reel them up like, hey, let's just like acknowledge that this is hard for a second. Or like, that's, let's acknowledge that this is a sad thing. And I think just like being in church culture, like we want to be like, oh, but God will use this and I know it will be good. And we want to just blow straight past that. And so it's been sweet to point to like, hey, actually, like Jesus didn't blow straight past this and Jesus did not put the silver lining on this and Jesus did not add a butt to the sadness. Lauren, you've talked a lot about how you have done intentional things to untangle and to receive what God's teaching you through your grief. You've talked about counseling, which I love. But what are some other tools that you have learned and used along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think practical like tools for grief that are in my tool belt that I grab a lot. There's one that is the idea of that healing from grief is like breaking an arm. And when you break an arm and like the bone's trying to heal back, there's literally nothing you can do to make the bone heal faster. It just takes the time it takes. It's kind of funny. I always get the mental picture from Harry Potter where he like loses his the bone in his arm and the lady's like, oh, it takes so long to grow an arm back. Like the, <laughs> the person in the hospital is like, oh, growing a bone takes forever. And so I think of that and I think about that's true when you break an arm. Like it just takes the time it takes to heal back. And what you can do is you can give it a good environment to heal in. You can give it a cast. You can take pain medicine. You can make sure not to bump your arm up against things but it's going to take the time it's going to take. And I think that's been so reassuring to see grief through that lens of grief just takes time. It takes the time that it takes. You can't hurry it up. And I remember asking my counselor, like, how do I get over this faster? How I, how do I move through the sadness faster? But knowing at the end of the day, it's going to take the time it takes. So that is mm-hmm. a metaphor that I reach to often for myself and for others. Lauren, would you talk about how your counselor started encouraging you toward rest and what God's done with that journey toward rest. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love this story. So 
when I had first started going to counseling back in 2018, I think she quickly realized what most people in my life probably realized, which is that I was doing far too much. My schedule was way too full. If you wanted to hang out, great. I was free on a Tuesday afternoon three weeks from now. Um, Uh And yeah, I just didn't have a lot of margin. And so she encouraged me towards a slower pace and more rest, which is fun because now it's like kind of a trendy thing. But at the time, going slow and resting was not a thing in my life. She encouraged me towards more reflection and Mm. contemplation. So it started very simply. It started as just like Saturday mornings. I would go to a coffee shop, get a chai latte, and just like write down how I was feeling that week. And rest. Usually I would like read, take a book, Mm. and yeah, just force myself to sit and be still for like, it felt like two or three hours was a really big one. And over time, that rest time got longer and bigger and more intentional. I started protecting Saturdays and not making plans. Mm. And then when I moved to Austin, I had a wonderful boss here in Austin named Chris Collins. And he is really big on Sabbath. And when he started talking about Sabbath, I was like, oh, I kind of have something like that. And he gave me a resource, a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is a really great book. And there's a chapter on Sabbath. And I read it and immediately was like, oh, my goodness, I love this. I have to do it. Plus, Chris was like, he's someone who's like encouraging all his leaders. You need to rest. You need to have a Sabbath. Like, this is what sustains you for life. This is what God calls us into. This is this is how we are to live. And so, yeah, just started incorporating like a 24-hour Sabbath time of rest and have been doing that for the past probably that structured time has been like three and a half years or so. So the the Schizero framework is stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. So stop is you stop all work, whether it's the work you do like that you're paid for or just like work like chores or errands or whatever else, volunteer work rest is you do what's filling for your body so for me that's a lot of naps (laughs) for some people that's like just a slow walk or it's reading a book or just sleeping in or having a slow morning or whatever whatever's restful delight which honestly is my favorite it's uh, you enjoy god's creation with all five of your senses so getting a special treat or using like lighting a nice candle or whatever like lingering in the movie theater lobby or wearing your favorite sweat like yeah just worshiping him for these gifts that he's given us and just taking time to enjoy them ecclesiastes talks about like what is a worker to gain from his toil and then he like talks about how like there's nothing better than to do good and be joyful And to eat and drink and take pleasure in all your work. Like he's like, this is the point of work is that we enjoy it, that we delight in it. And God himself models that. He does work for six days and then he punctuates it with rest. And he delights in it. He looks at his stuff, his work, his stuff. He looks at his work and says, his creation says, this is very good. He delights in it. And so we delight in his creation. And then the fourth part is 
contemplate. And so that's checking in with the Lord on the week, reading scripture, sitting with it, meditating on it. For me, it's like quality over quantity. It's like small bits of scripture to just really like mind them for what is true of your character here, God. Show me your heart through this. And then also just reflecting on the week of writing out joys and just like what was sweet and what was good. I think we can plow through without being like, wow, I prayed for this and God answered it. <laughs> like there's so many times that we just don't mm-hmm. acknowledge like, wow, that was actually really sweet. I thought that meeting was going to be hard or suck. And it was really great. Or I thought like I felt fearful going into this and this worked out. And so journaling joys, journaling what was hard the past week. That's my time of like confession and repentance, like really looking deeply at like where have I missed the mark in the past week? Who do I need to like go proactively like own my sin with? Yeah. And just like as a whole, just listening and sitting still before God. A very trendy book right now. If people haven't read it, you should read it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh-huh. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, Emily, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. that hit your house a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, yeah, John Mark Comer talks a lot about slowing down and rest and how restorative it is. And yeah, it's just true. I've experienced that. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. What What is your ideal Sabbath? What do you do? That's a like good question. For your 24 hours. I think an important caveat is like your Sabbath is rarely ideal. <laughs> so okay. that's a good like, yeah, that's a good caveat. Yes. Like life happens. I am fortunate in the fact that I am only responsible for me, myself and I. So I'm not married. I don't have children. And so, yes, I can have a lot more flexibility. But I always want people to know like, Okay, you can have an ideal Sabbath, but life happens. It looks different week to week. It looks different depending on what's going on. But my ideal Sabbath is I Sabbath Friday night to Saturday night. And I do that for a few reasons. One, it gives my Saturday nights free to like go do things and whatever. If there's a wedding or an event or whatever's going on. Hanging out with friends. And then also Sundays just because I serve. I don't work on Sundays. I work Monday through Friday, but... I still like volunteer on Sundays at church and you're up early and you're kind of on a little bit and it's just not super restful. Plus Sunday afternoons, I want to prep for the week and I want to like run my errands and do my grocery shop. So yes, Sabbath Friday to Saturday night is my ideal. Friday night, usually I'll start with lighting a candle and just inviting the Holy Spirit in and I'll usually read a psalm, just flip to a random psalm and read it and find what word sticks out to me and just sit and meditate on it and pray. And the prayer is real simple of just, God, you are holding all things and I am not. You see all things and I do not. You invite me into rest. And so help me to do that in this time. And then usually Friday night is just a decompressing from the week. It might be having a close friend over. Right now we're watching Ted Lasso on Friday nights because it's so delightful. It's wonderful. (laughs) Do you watch it? Oh, yeah. Oh, what I'm going to do with Dustin after we finish. <laughs> yes. I love it. So, yes, we watched Ted Lasso and we just hang out. I wear comfy clothes. I take a long, hot shower. I have, this is so silly, but I have like a special little like body wash that is from my favorite place on earth, which is called Laity Lodge. It's out in the hill country of Texas and they have this really great bath soap that 
I don't even know what the smell is, but it's so good. And I only use it on Sabbath. So <laughs> it's so silly, but I like get happy every time I use it. Yes, that's delighting. Um, it's so great. And then Saturday, I mean, it looks different depending on the weather, but usually it's time outside. It's time in a coffee shop. I have to get out of my house because otherwise I'll be distracted. Home projects or laundry or whatever. So getting out of my house, going to a pretty, yeah, coffee shop, which Austin has a million and one of. And reading, catching up on books, walking with a friend. My best friend has a seven-month-old baby, and so we'll just go play with her and cuddle with her mm -hmm. and... Yeah, sometimes it might be brunch with friends. That's just slow. The, the key is being unhurried. And mm -hmm. oh, that sounds lovely. Oh, yeah. I want to do all these things. Yes, it's great. Okay, so you've learned a lot about Sabbath and rest. And so would you tell us what you've done with what you're learning? <laughs> yes, it's weird. I am just now starting to talk about this with people. And so it's weird. I, I feel like even the first time I brought it up with you, I was, I don't know, weird about it, anxious about it. <laughs> but yes, this is a good thing from God. I spent the past about nine months working on a resource called Sabbath Guide. And my hope for it is that it helps serve as a practical guide to help those who want to Sabbath well, but maybe don't know where to start or don't know how to be intentional at that time. So I think there are a lot of resources right now for people to learn about Sabbath, but there's nothing really that like holds your hand and helps you put pen to paper to actually think through what could a healthy Sabbath look like for me and my family. And I just found myself being in lots of conversations about Sabbath with other people because it has been such a helpful anchor to help me flourish throughout the week to slow down and rest. Honestly, it was like kind of a crazy story I've told you before, but I, it was last June. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m., which I never, ever, ever, ever wake up in the middle of the night. I'm a sound sleeper. I could sleep through a tornado. I think I literally have slept through tornadoes living in Oklahoma. <laughs> but I woke up and just had this idea and was like, I think I should write something. And at the time I was like, I should write like a Word doc or a Google doc for my friends just as like a kind of worksheet to help them think through how to Sabbath. And so I got out of bed and I kind of outlined something in a Google doc. I was like, huh, that was weird. And I went back to bed. And then a month later, I was on a two-week solo vacation, which and everyone should take solo vacations. They're the best. <laughs> and yeah, it came to mind again. And I just felt like the Lord was like, hey, spend some time with that. And so I started reading all the instances of Sabbath and scripture and taking notes and looking at context and looking for common threads and all that stuff. And then in August, our college pastor was like, hey, would would you be willing to come talk to our college students about Sabbath? I know that that's something that you love and is a big part of your life. And so I got to go and talk for an hour with these students. And it was so sweet. And I could tell they were hungry for it. They're hungry for rest. They're hungry for like good rhythms in their life. So yeah, it just started this process of writing this resource. It walks through why we Sabbath. 
and then walks people through Skazero's four-part framework for Sabbath and helps, like, there's a worksheet to go with each of those things. So it's been a really sweet project. It's been honestly just so fun. And in my mind, I'm like, man, if one person rests better because of that, this will be such a huge win. I'm so excited, Lauren. I think this, it's one thing to read and think deeply about a topic or a spiritual concept or a spiritual practice. It's another thing to have a guide. I think having something that I can say, this is a tool that I can now incorporate into my life is incredibly needed. And especially in the context of like being busy, being hurried and feeling like I don't have the time to think about how to rest. I don't have the time to unpack how to create a new rhythm in my life, but I do have the time to order a guide or to like have somebody just tell, tell me some things I could start doing. So I just affirm that I think it, it is very needed. I think people are going to be blessed by it. So I don't want to bury the lead in any way. I want to say that Lauren has published a book called Sabbath Guide. It's available to purchase. It's a great resource. Tell your friends, read it yourself. Dustin and I can't wait to read it. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. It's been cool watching it come together. And I'm just really hopeful for what God will do to help people rest. Lauren, this is a beautiful story. And I have loved covering the whole breadth of what God has been doing in your life over the last several years. You've done a lot of beautiful work, but I know that you would say it's God's grace and the Holy Spirit that's led you to untangle. And and now you're leading through that work. It's just really beautiful. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, friend. Thanks for this opportunity. It's so sweet to reflect i love that you call people into this practice of remembering i think it's yeah it's good for our souls it's been good for my soul mm-hmm. me too thanks for listening to today's interview with my friend lauren if you'd like to purchase sabbath guide it's available today at sabbath.guide I'll also post more about it on my social media. And of course, you can check out my website where I'll link how to purchase that and any of the books or references that she made in today's episode will be linked in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next week as we continue with our study on James and the rest of the summer. I've got some great interviews and more stories of remembering coming your way.